0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So turn your Bibles this morning to a familiar passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And I'm not normally a a big follow-the-news kind of guy. I mean, I like to stay informed uh, to a degree, but I don't obsess over all of it. Um, But I have followed everything a little bit more closely lately. And of course, it's been uh, kind of hard to avoid with all that's happening with our country and, and our government lately. Uh, But without getting all political on you this morning, I think we can all notice the trend of a society that is becoming harder and harder to live in for us as Christians. Um, Everybody agree with that? (laughs) Wow. We live in a society where the culture not only, um, or much of the culture, not only rejects Jesus Christ, but is offended by him and even hostile to him as well. And when we take on the person of Christ in our life, when we try to live as he lived, when we try to walk as he walked, and talk as he talked, then more often than not, our association with him puts us in confrontation. It puts us in confrontation with all those that oppose him, who don't believe in him, and who even despise him. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Uh, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the qualifier there is those that will live godly. And it's not something that could happen. It's not something that might happen. But the Bible says right there in the text that it is going to happen. Uh, We will face persecution. We will face opposition. We're going to face it in the workplace. Uh, Students, you're going to face it in your schools. You may face it with your family members. Uh, You will even face it with those who even profess to be Christian people. But despite what hardships and oppositions that we may face, the Christian uh, is never relieved or never excused from his duties as a believer just because life gets tough. Uh, Paul and Timothy understood this concept. You see, in the context of which this letter is written, the same types of things were going on. Paul had he had Timothy stay there at the church at Ephesus and what had once been a model church in many ways had now developed its own uh, different sorts of problems there and Timothy he was to remain there he was to right the ship in a sense and in Paul's letters to Timothy he's continually he's encouraging him uh, he's admonishing him he's commanding Timothy to fight the good fight of faith and uh, Timothy he was He was facing much opposition uh, of his own there. There were leaders that had crept up and were teaching false doctrines. There were those who had become lovers of self and lovers of money. There were those that had gotten away from their first love, which was Christ. And they had gotten involved in, well, just about everything that you could think of. And it was to be Timothy's job to confront error with truth. It would be Timothy's responsibility to confront unrighteousness with righteousness, and it was Timothy's duty to be an example to all the believers there as well. Unfortunately, many people there at Ephesus, they weren't too excited about giving up their sin, their lusts, their false teachings. And even though Paul, he, he, he had a great love and, and, and trust in Timothy, I'm sure he was concerned. He was concerned about him, and he prayed that he would be up to the task. You see, Paul knew the task was great. He knew the enemy was powerful. He knew the challenges, he knew the temptations, and he knew what a difficult task was in store. And this letter that was written for Timothy, it's, it's just so relevant for us today as we face, uh, maybe not to the same type of degree as Timothy, but we face the same type of opposition from the world, uh, the same type of resistance from our flesh, and the same type of hostility from the devil. Uh, we try to live right, we try to stand up for truth, but it's hard. It's hard, and oftentimes uh, we fall short. So this morning in our text, Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him these great words, these great words of encouragement in the midst of all this stuff that's going on. But his words, they're much more than encouragement, they're commands. And for us this morning, I think Paul, he gives gives us a a spiritual survival guide, in a sense, when it comes to living a Christ-filled life in a sin-filled world. So let's look at our text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Um, Our time here this morning, we just thank you for the opportunity to to get into your word. Uh, Just be with us this hour and the next. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like I said, Paul gives Timothy and and us as well here, I think, four important commands here in the text. And uh, these commands are to flee, to follow, to fight, and to focus. And I think that our ability to continue on in the faith, to persevere, to stand up for truth, to grow as a Christian... In the midst of the world throwing everything but the kitchen sink at us depends on these four actions. And the first thing that Paul says, and if you have your listening sheet, this is the first one, is run from that which is unrighteous. Run from that which is unrighteous. Verse 11, Paul says, to flee these things or or to run away from or to retreat from these things, just to get away from these things. And you say, well, what type of things is he talking about there? Well, if you look in chapter 6 and you look at the first 10 verses here, he's telling Timothy to get away from all that stuff that was going on there at the time. He's talking about arrogance and pride in verse 4. He's talking about impurity in verse 5. He's talking about discontentment with what they had been given in verses 6 and 8. He's talking about foolish and and harmful lusts in verse 9. And he talks about the love of money in verse 10. But he's also talking about every kind of sin. Timothy is to flee from sin, and we are as well. Uh, A true Christian is, of course, one who runs from sin. He flees from sin. He tries to avoid sin. He flees from sexual sin. He flees from putting things before God. He flees from uh, filthy language. He flees from the love of money and the things of this world. He flees from putting forth a, a bad testimony in front of those less mature believers. And when it comes to sin, he says, get... As far away from it as possible. He doesn't say face it. He doesn't say play around with it. He doesn't say you can get close, but just don't touch. He says run. He says flee these things. And this is a simple, uh, it's a very simple concept, but a seldom one practiced by a lot of Christians today. We often see those who profess to be Christians, but often have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Um... There are those that have a very indifferent perspective when it comes to personal sin. Uh, People that are deceived into believing that sin, it's just just not really that big of a deal. But you're never going to find that type of a lackadaisical approach to avoiding sin anywhere in Scripture. In in fact, you're going to find exactly the opposite of that. Uh, In Genesis 39 we read about Joseph and how how the master's wife he, he uh, the master's wife she kept trying to get Joseph to to sleep with her. Of course, Joseph he he never gave into that, and it eventually led to her grabbing his clothes and him literally running out of the room with the garment there. And that's running from sin. <laughs> I mean, that's running from sin in a literal sense there. And if that's what it comes down to, and that's what you have to do, then that's what you have to do. Of course, Joseph, he he didn't ask to be put in that type of position. Uh, And I thought about that, and then I thought, you know, but how many times do we allow ourselves to be put in positions where we know that we're going to be tempted to sin? Um, Maybe you go to a a party or an event or something like that where you know that there's going to be all sorts of temptations going on, uh, stuff that's going to tempt you that you might struggle with, but you put yourself in that position anyway. Maybe as a single person, uh, you keep dating that person, you're in a relationship where that person has absolutely zero respect for the purity of your relationship, uh, zero respect for Christ in that relationship, but you continue dating them anyway. Um, Or as a married person, maybe in the workplace, maybe you allow yourself to uh, play with fire, so to speak, with the opposite sex. Do you put yourself in a position where you might be tempted to sin in that regard, Um, or even as a church member here. Maybe you hang out with people or you associate with people who just talk bad about people and stuff all the time and they just want to gossip, but you keep doing that because they're your friends. And oftentimes, sin can be avoided just by not putting ourselves in careless positions where we might be tempted to sin. And it all starts, I think, with striving to see sin in the same way that God sees sin. And when we do that... I think we can be more mindful on just how to avoid it. And when we try to see sin the way that God sees sin, um, I'm not necessarily just talking about all that terrible stuff that you see on the news, because everybody thinks that that stuff's bad. I mean, everybody, even non-Christians, think that type of stuff is bad. Uh, and it's not just the sin that we see in everybody else, either, because a lot of times we have a tendency to think that theirs is a lot worse, right? Right. Um, but the question is, is, how do we feel about our own sin? How do we feel about the sins that are in our mind? How do we feel about the sin that we have that nobody else ever sees? Do we look at that kind of sin in the same way that God looks at it? The reality is, is that sin is so serious and has such an effect on our fellowship with God as a, as a believer that we should absolutely be running from it. Listen to what Mark says Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 47. He says, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. And in verse 45, he says, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. And in verse 47, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Because he's saying that it's better to enter into the kingdom of heaven, minus this stuff, than it is to be cast into hellfire with it. Sin is serious, and it's serious enough that an almighty God had to die for it. And as Christians, we need to do whatever it takes to stay out of it, but also to be proactive, um, to stay away from it in the first place, I think. So that's the first thing that Paul says here, and that's to flee from sin, to stay away from sin, to run from sin. And I think the next thing that he says is to run to that which is righteous. That's number two there on your listening sheet. Verse 11 again, but thou, o man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And in this life that, that you and I live as Christians, we are continually trying to flee from sin and run from sin, but we're also running to something as well, or at least we should be. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So Paul's saying we need to run from sin, but also run towards the things that are righteous and godly at the same time. And if you look there in our text, Paul gives Timothy six virtues here to follow after. And he says that they are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And the Christian life, it's it's not just avoiding the bad stuff, but it's, Running toward the good stuff as well. And the first thing that he mentions there is righteousness. Well, that simply means doing right by God, by man, doing right to God, doing right to man. Proverbs 15.9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. And we can ask ourselves, Do I follow after righteousness? Do I seek after these godly virtues uh, in my life? And if we don't, then what are we following after? What are we following after? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about uh, what you are after in this life? What motivates you? What you're living for? What it is that you truly want? Well, we find people chasing after everything these days. People chase after fame. They chase after fortune, after everything that pleases the flesh. But how many people, and even Christians, how many Christians are actually chasing after righteousness in their life? I think that that's proof that someone is a true child of God. It's someone that would desire and seek righteousness and godliness in their life. And we're talking about practical stuff here. Obeying God, obeying his commandments, avoiding sin. This is practical stuff. Conduct. Is your behavior right and in line with scripture? And just for time purposes, I'm not going to go into all of these virtues this morning. And and also because I think everybody understands what they are. Uh, But we should be following these types of things. Um, When it comes to running from the bad stuff and the sin and running to the good stuff, I think that oftentimes Christians do, um, do a good job sometimes of running from sin. They're very good at not doing the bad stuff. They're very good at avoiding that stuff, and that's kind of what they focus on. But then they might not be so great at following after the good stuff. And for some of us, it's the other way around. We strive to love, we strive to be patient, we strive to forgive and to be humble, but all the while overlook great sin That is basically running unchecked in our everyday lives. So there needs to be a balance there. And and when it comes to our sanctification, we're being set apart, set apart from sin and unto God. So we must flee the sin, but we must follow after the things that are from God at the same time. So it's important for us to not just focus on one part of that and neglect the other. Um, And thirdly there, I think that Paul is telling us to fight. And that's number three there on your outline, is fight only for a cause that is worthy. Verse 12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. It seems today that conflict and, and fighting are, are everywhere, it's all around us. And uh, many adults today feel like the fight is, maybe it's against a spouse, maybe it's against your boss, maybe it's against various political oppositions or, or whatnot, um, maybe the fights against that person who laid on their horn because you didn't immediately take off when the light turned green, or the exact second that the light turned green, see, you guys know where my fight is, um, teenagers, students, today you may feel like the fight is, is against parents or, or other students at school, or, or, or maybe your teachers, siblings, boyfriend, girlfriend. But Paul would have us know that the real fight is not necessarily against other people at all. But in fact, there's something going on behind the scenes here. He says that the real fight is against the devil, against the world, and against our own flesh. This is where the real fight takes place. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places, and notice there Ephesians chapter six verse twelve that Paul calls this a good fight it 's a good fight. Um, I used to not think that there was any such thing as a good fight there wasn 't ever a good fight, um, and i 've told the the students and stuff this before too, but uh, I grew up in a public school in Kentucky where it was just as common to see a fight every day as it was to see the the sun rise um, I saw guys get their noses broken. I saw girls get their hair ripped out. I once saw a girl knock another girl's teeth out with a rock. Um, I saw fights in the bathroom, on the playground, on the school bus. And it sounds kind of shocking, but I never really knew anything different than that. I thought that that's kind of the way that it was everywhere. Um, That's just kind of the way that life was. But during my youth, and, and while observing these fights, and unfortunately being part of a couple of them as well, I noticed that if you, if you broke them all down, most fights were almost always about nothing, and they ultimately solved nothing. Uh, so I never thought that there was really a such thing as a good fight or a worthwhile one to say the least, but Paul would have us think very differently, I think, this morning. He would tell us that there is such thing as a good fight, and he describes it to Timothy here as the good fight of faith. You see, the good fight of faith is a, it's a fight for a very worthy cause. And as a Christian, it's not, it's not something that you can choose or not choose to be a part of. As a Christian, it's your duty. It's your duty. You are in the fight. And the fight begins when you first come to know Christ, and it ends when you stand before him in heaven. So right now, we are in the fight. Christian life, it's, it's a struggle, and it's a struggle on a couple of different fronts. We battle our sin, we battle the world, and we battle the devil. And all these enemies, they are in direct conflict, in absolute direct confrontation with our regenerated spiritual self. We struggle with our pride, we struggle with our lusts, we struggle with deception, We struggle with fear, we struggle with doubt, we struggle with worry, we struggle with the love of things of this world, the love of money, and as a Christian, we can struggle or we may battle against everything that is not something that glorifies the name of Jesus Christ, because the purpose of you, the purpose of me, the purpose of this church, the purpose of everything on this planet is to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Everything that goes along with that whole bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ part, well, that goes against everything that your flesh wants you to do. It goes against everything that the world wants you to do. And it goes against everything that Satan wants you to do. And there we have the fight. That's where the struggle is. There we have the confrontation. We were designed, we were created and redeemed to bring him glory. But everything else in this world is trying to stop us from doing that. Have you noticed that? And this is a fight that you will fight your whole time on earth as a believer. Paul described this struggle, this Christian struggle in Romans chapter 7 when he said, Look, you know, I, I, I don't do what I want, but I do what I hate. And I think many of us can relate to that. I know that I can anyway. So if this morning if if you you're a believer and you call yourself a Christian this morning and your lifestyle is 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 not in contrast or does not come in conflict with that of non-Christians around you in some way, especially the way that you view sin, and if there is no struggle within you over your sin or the conviction of sin versus the desire of the flesh to sin, and if there is no real spiritual struggle Uh, within you to keep pressing on toward that goal which Christ has called you to, uh, despite any types of hardships that you may face along the way, then I would say that although you are in the fight somewhere, there may not be any fight in you. And if there is no fight in you, then most likely there is no faith either. So are you fighting the good fight of faith this morning? Are you in the fight? It's a constant fight. It's continuous the Christian life. It's, it's many battles. It's many fights. In a sense, it's a war. Paul knew this. This is why he commanded Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, to wage a good warfare. Uh, and let's take a look at that. He said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Paul knew the struggles, he knew the opposition that Timothy was facing, because he had faced all this stuff himself. And in many ways, they're the same types of stuff that we deal with today. The same type of struggles, the same type of battles, the same type of fights. Standing up for, for biblical truth versus, versus supporting biblical error. Uh, holy, holy living versus sinful living. Loving God versus loving the things of the world. It's a struggle, it's a fight, it's a war. And the phrase that Paul uses there in First Timothy chapter one verse eighteen, "war a good warfare," there's a there's a sense of strategy in that. Um, there's a plan. There's direction. There's purpose behind that. And it's the same type of purpose I think that Paul spoke of in First Corinthians chapter nine verse twenty six, where he says, "I therefore so run, not as uncertainly; so fight I, not as one that beateth the air." So we fight with purpose. We fight with a plan, and we fight with strategy. And you say, well, where does all that stuff come from? Well, we get it from God's Word. Uh, God's Word, it serves as the field field manual, it serves as the war room, and it serves as the weapon. And you don't go into battle without it. You know, I truly think, and and I really believe that the reason that many young people, um, and many adults too, for that matter, are losing the everyday fights and the everyday battles is because they're indifferent about God's Word. They're just indifferent about it. They can take it, they can leave it. And when professing Christian young people can quote every line from the Twilight books, word for word, or or know every character from all seven Harry Potter books, or are able to sit down and read the Hunger Games trilogy in a single day, shouldn't they at least be able to locate the book of Ephesians in a Bible? And I'm not necessarily picking on those books because I haven't read them. But I'm just trying to make a point that there's a problem here. There's a problem with this. One of the greatest, if not the greatest victory the devil has over us is keeping us out of God's word, keeping us away from God's word. And you're never going to fight a good fight of faith or win any type of spiritual battle without it. Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But you're never going to know exactly what that armor is if you're not in God's word, right? If you're not reading the Bible. If you're not putting yourself in a position, whether here or, or the next hour, or coming to church, or, or in a position where you're going to hear God's word. Psalm 119, 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee, and um, if you 've ever watched uh, and young people have heard this illustration before, so uh, so don 't say the end before I get there okay but uh, if, <laughs> if 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 you 've ever watched the Animal Planet or or the Discovery Channel, you see that tiger or the, or that lion and and he's he 's sitting there and he 's behind the tall grass, and he 's waiting on that herd of gazelles or antelope that are, that are going by, and he waits for the right moment, and then he jumps, and he chases the herd. And you know which one he always gets? He gets the one that wasn't up to the fight. He gets the one who became too tired. He gets the one who was not prepared. He gets the one that was too distracted. He gets the one that was separated from its father. He gets the one that gives up. He gets the young one. He gets the weak one. And the point is this, is you don't want you or your children to go through this life being spiritually weak. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, and you know, I've yet to talk to a young person that's, that's got wrapped up in, in different types of sin and, and, and struggled with all these different sins who says to me, but you know, I've been having really great quiet times lately. You just don't, I mean, it's just not going to happen. Um, when it comes to sin and it comes to God's word, they, they almost seem to be inversely proportional. Uh, it's like the more you get involved with one, the less you want to get involved with the other one. Uh, so we must strive. We, we have to strive to be strong in God's word. And, and I think that we do a good job here at Berean with that. Uh, we really should have a, a love and a hunger for it. Uh, a natural response of a true child of God is somebody who wants to know his Father more intimately, and that's what the Bible does for us. One of my favorite stories is the uh, is a story of a little girl from France. She was poor and completely blind, and she had obtained the Gospel of Mark in braille, and she learned to read it with the tips of her fingers. Uh, And because she had such a passionate love for the scripture, she read it constantly. And because she read it constantly, her fingers became callous. And by becoming callous, it diminished the capability that she had to discern the letters. Well, One day, so much desiring to read the scriptures, she cut the skin from the ends of her fingers in an effort to increase their sensitivity, only to end up destroying the nerves in in her fingertips by doing that. Well, she was devastated. Not because she knew that she would never have feeling in her fingertips again, but she was devastated because she would not be able to read God's word again. She felt that she must give up this beloved book. In crying and weeping, the story says, she pressed her lips to the pages of the Gospel of Mark and said, farewell, farewell. And to her surprise, her lips were more delicate than her fingers, and discerned the form of the letters, and all that night she read with her lips the word of God and was overflowed with joy at this new opportunity. That is what a true hunger and a true desire for God's word really is. It's letting nothing get in the way between you and what you love. The question is, is do you love it? Do you love it for you? Do you love it for your children? Because in order for us to truly flee from sin in order for us to truly follow after righteousness in order in godliness love patience faith and meekness in order for us to truly fight this good fight of faith it's got to be based in the knowledge of the truth of god's word so we have to fight the good fight lay hold on eternal life the same to which you were called and made a profession of which i think would really be paul's first fourth point here or fourth command to timothy here in our text And um, and fourth on your outline there. And that is, focus on that which is eternal. Focus on that which is eternal. Paul's once again telling Timothy here, he's saying, look, it's going to be tough, it's going to be a fight, but stay focused on the big picture here. Always keep your heart and your mind on what you have waiting on you. That, of course, was always Paul's focus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew the struggles. He knew the sacrifice. He knew the personal pain and cost involved with following Christ. But he also knew that it was like so worth it. And if we're going to live in a way that glorifies God in this world, we have to be able to believe that as well. First Corinthians chapter nine verse twenty five and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And I just want to ask, is it worth it to you this morning? I think you know in your heart if it is or if it's not, and that really ought to tell you something about your spiritual condition in general. We have to flee from sin. We have to follow after righteousness, we have to fight for what's right. And we have to focus on what we have waiting for us. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, Set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. And it's my prayer that all of us here, we could face Christ one day with that same no regrets for Christ type of attitude and type of life that Paul lived out. Um, I don't have to tell you guys, living here is not always easy. And Christ told us that it's not going to be. But praise God that we know that it's going to be worth it. And when you find yourself being opposed by what seems like everybody and everything because of what you believe and what you stand for, remember Paul's commands here to Timothy for dealing with all that. He says, run from sin and everything that comes from the devil. Run to what's right and everything that comes from God. Keep fighting the good fight of faith in your life and stay focused on just what you have waiting for you. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray before we close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. We just thank you for your word. Uh, we're so blessed to have it. We just pray that, that, that we've uh, listened to your word this morning, Father, and that, that we'll apply this to our lives. Uh, help us to do all that we've learned here this morning. Be with us the next hour. Open up our hearts once again. Help us to glorify the name of Jesus Christ today. We ask it in his name. Amen. dot